on this episode of In The Rack Podcast. Two days before Thanksgiving. So we wanted to come up with um, some turkey tips for you to help you navigate this upcoming holiday. So we've created a top 10 list of all things to consider before diving into all that food and indulging yourselves for Thanksgiving. What you got? To In The Rack Podcast, where we provide you with a practical framework for breaking PRs in all facets of health and wellness. We are just a couple of bros giving you the simple house in a world of complex wants. No filters, no scripts, no rules, just straight talk. Talk to them. Now, let's get into the rack with your hosts, Dr. Chad and Dr. Nick. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of In The Rack Podcast. I am your host, Chad, and with me is my co-host and fellow physical therapist, Nick. Today, we have a special episode for you. I mean, all the episodes are special, but this one in particular because this is our Thanksgiving edition of In The Rack Podcast. So we've got Thanksgiving coming up in a couple of days because as the time, well, by the time you guys actually hear this episode, it'll be Tuesday. So two days before Thanksgiving. So we wanted to come up with um, some turkey tips for you to help you navigate this upcoming holiday. So we've created a top 10 list of all things to consider before diving into all that food and indulging yourselves for Thanksgiving. So I'm going to just you know, get right to the list and let's kick off the first thing on a list. And that's just making sure that you are enjoying yourself on Thanksgiving. That's a good good start absolutely got to enjoy yourself it's it's one of the best holidays but chad and i love thanksgiving because we love to eat yep. and you know i'm sure a lot a lot of people out there feel the same way but enjoying yourself is is it sounds cliche but you really if you take a step back and you look at health right like the just the concept of health we tend to most people tend to think oh health that's just exercise and diet right not really. There's more, much more to health than just those two things. Those two things are big components, but social gathering, community, you know, that type of a, a of an aspect is is a huge part of your health journey. So that's what something like Thanksgiving and really any holiday where you get together with family, friends, that's what it really exemplifies. So know that, know that this isn't just about you know, the, the big food and, you know, I have to stay moving throughout this holiday. Well, this is the, the purpose of it really is to be together and, and spend quality time with family, friends, and, and the people you probably would love to see more, but don't get to see enough of, especially nowadays. So know that social engagement is, is huge part of your health. So by restricting, you know, yourself over the Thanksgiving holiday, whether it's with the food or you say, oh, I'm going to over, you know, I'm going to exercise more because of I'm eating more. Well, you might be taking away, you know, from other aspects of health by trying to over control those. So just enjoy yourself. Yeah. I think we spend too much time on the whole diet and exercise piece. We forget yeah. to uh, work on our mental health yeah. as well. And I Absolutely. think that's a huge piece Absolutely. for sure. Health is multifactorial. You got, and you got to be, you know, there, there's, yeah, there's buckets for each factor. And, you know, we're always putting a little bit in each bucket, but sometimes you got to focus on one one bucket more than the other. So, you know, some weeks you might be focusing more on diet. Some weeks you might be focusing more on exercise. This upcoming week, we're going to be focusing a little bit more on our, our social engagement and, and community piece. So just just know that. Don't worry too, too. Don't, you know, don't just throw it out the window, but, you know, don't don't over over stress about it. Absolutely. All right. So let's go to number two. Number two, don't over restrict yourself. 
Um, so we kind of touched upon that in, in number one, but over-restricting is, is not good for behavior overall. So if, if you start to dive down this road of, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to eat that, that, and that, or I'm not going to do, you know, eat certain things or do certain things over the holidays just because you want to uh, stay on track. Well, staying on track is a good thing, but we don't want to overdo it to the point where we change our behavior for the worse. You know, I, I, I was just saying off air to Chad that this is kind of over restricting yourself is, is really just taking a glass half empty approach all the time. So too much negativity in your life is, is not a good thing at all. Yeah. And I'm a perfect example of that about not eating like pretty much everything that's on the table. <laughs> But um, one day ain't going to kill you. And yeah, I'm, I'm exactly. definitely going to be having some pie for sure. Yeah. I love pie on Thanksgiving. So it's my weakness <laughs> for sure. All right. Number three, uh, don't overindulge because uh, you don't need full servings of everything, even the, <laughs> unless it's turkey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get your protein, people. Yeah. We'll talk about that. That's number yeah, 10. That's number We're 10. getting there. Yeah, yeah. But that's true. You know, don't don't go crazy, you know, on, it, on all the servings. You know, like try to give yourself a healthy balance of everything. And, um, you know, a little can go a long way. Uh-huh, absolutely. Yeah, this is so the over-restricting person is the glass half empty all the time. The over-indulgent is, I won't say it's the glass half full. This is the ah, screw it person. They're just, ah, screw it. I'm going to do it. So that can be good in some instances. You know, you got to take risks at times, but you got to be smart about your risks. So you can't be taking risks all the time, right? That's, you might, you might get yourself in a sticky situation. So don't, don't overindulge. All right. All right, number four. This is a big one. We're going to go pretty deep mm-hmm. in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yep. this is super important because this this sets the stage. Uh, get good sleep. Yeah. Simple. So sleep, we all know, is super important. But it really, really is more important. I would say more important during these times because without really without thinking about it, we tend to change our sleep schedule. And alterations in your sleep schedule can be, you know, they can be a silent killer. They, they, they've been associated with, you know, earlier mortality. But... They can just throw a wrench in everything else. They can throw you off track. Like we were mentioning before, trying to stay on track with a health health journey or a health goal. And this, your changes in sleep can absolutely just throw you off that the, the rails a little bit. So consistency is key when it comes to sleep. So you want to try to maintain some level of consistency in your sleep schedule. Now, if you have guests over, you have family staying over, it's totally understandable if you can't get to bed at the same time. But actually, if you think about you have a sleep time and a wake time, you should at least try to be consistent with one of those. If you know you're going to be up later than usual, you should try to wake up at the same time or close to it, you know, within a 30 to maybe 60 minute time frame. And if you, you know, went to bed two hours later, but you woke up at the same time, so you got two hours less of sleep, try to squeeze in a nap the next day. You know, most people aren't working. I know there are some people who will still work through the holidays, but if you have the days off, you might be able to squeeze in a nap. So that strategy is probably a little bit better so you don't just disrupt the whole schedule. Um, I think it was uh, Matthew Walker, um, sleep researcher. He said that if you, so for example, he used the Monday to Friday example. So if Monday to Friday you wake, go to sleep and wake up at a certain time and then Saturday to Sunday, you go to sleep and wake up at total, two totally different times. It's essentially the equivalent of giving yourself jet lag every week. So that's, that's pretty problematic if we're looking at it from a jet lag perspective because we've all, we've, well, most people have experienced that. It's it's not 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 always fun. So you want to try to keep one of the, at least one of those, if possible, within that thirty to sixty minute window. You know of what you're accustomed to, and if you can do both, great. But if not, try to at least hit one. Yeah, and I think the take home there too is if like you are a nap type of person, then be consistent with the naps. Don't nap some days and don't 
you know, nap yeah. other days and yeah. don't nap other days, you yeah. know? So what's the, what's the recommendation on the nap time? Is it like so, 90 minutes? Yeah. So naps, naps are tricky. So if you are going for a quick little, you know, cat nap, as some people call it, you want it to be, you know, 15, 20, maybe up to 30 minutes, but you don't want to go much more than 30 because right. then you start to get into, into that the deep next, sleep yeah. and you don't want to get into the deep sleep and then wake yourself up. So if you go longer than that 30 minutes, make sure it's closer to 90 minutes. So if you're sub 30 minutes, great. That's your little quick kind of like just brain refresher. And then if you're going to go longer than that, try to make it 90 so you get through one full sleep cycle. Because if you wake up in the middle of the cycle, you will be groggy. That's 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 that nap that we've all taken that when we wake up, we feel worse. It's because you woke up in the middle of the sleep cycle. Those naps where you hit, you know, somewhere around that hour and a half, 90 minutes time frame, you feel fantastic because you hit it right in the, before the next sleep cycle. So that's, that's the big takeaway for, for naps. So when it comes to sleep, um, big, big thing right now is we're getting into the winter flu season. Obviously we have this other new season that has, has come about in the last couple of years. So sleep and immunity are directly related. So they actually have a bi-directional relationship. So when sleep is impacted, immunity is impacted and vice versa. When immunity is impacted, sleep is impacted. We've all felt that when you're sick, you might be sleeping more or you have difficulty sleeping. So we have a, you know, a ton of research to back this up. There was a big systematic review in 2019 that showed this bi-directional relationship. So, you know, us as, as PTs seeing patients, clients every week, we actually have seen this, you know, in the clinic as well, um, where we have a, a rise in, in cancellations due to sickness around yeah. this time every year without every fail. Year. So, it, it, it always seems to be a, a tiny little spike around the holidays, you know, post Thanksgiving and then post Christmas, post New Year's where we see this. So, you know, that could be an indication that people's sleep's thrown off. So now their immunity's down a little bit. Boom. Now they're a little more predisposed. So <clears throat> the the sleep is what the controllable factor is here. You know, we, we're not, you're we're a little, little less control of some of the other factors related to the holidays being busy, you know um, staying up, staying up a little later with family friends. So let's try to control it to the best of our abilities. And one other study I wanted to bring up just because it's important right now with, with what, what's going on with, I won't, I won't drop the name. I know Chad mentioned the name once last episode. <laughs> we got away with gonna it. I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say, I'm going to use the word booster instead. So everyone knows what I'm talking about, but <laughs> this study in 2020 was done on, on the, the flu vaccine. And People who slept less than seven hours actually had a significant reduction in the amount of antibodies that their body formed after receiving the vaccine. So the duration of sleep seemed to be most correlated with the outcomes of the vaccine effectiveness. And when they actually studied the, the specific days, so they, te- they tested um, or they, they, they took the data on the three days leading up to, and then I think it was the 10 days after the most important days seem to be the day before and the day after they got their vaccine. So that was, um, it actually directly affected or was associated with reduced antibody outcomes at one and four month follow-ups. So they basically had a decreased, you know, vaccine outcome if they got less than seven hours of sleep. So if you are probably most Americans, yeah, if you are scheduled for your people for your, you know, booster, um, then I would make sure you get really good sleep the two days, definitely the two days before you get it. And then, uh, you know, even just all the time around it is going to be super helpful. But 
definitely those the 48 hours leading up to it can be super helpful so just just for a little little added added tidbit i love it well i think since we're on the sleep topic i think we should talk about the good old myth of tryptophan because <laughs> everybody's all like man tryptophan's killing me i'm going to sleep well i think it's time we bust the myth and some of you guys may already know that this is a myth but some of you out there may not know that yeah. so yes turkey does have trypt- tryptophan but so doesn't chicken meat cheese fish yogurt eggs those all have tryptophan too and actually, believe it or not, turkey has less tryptophan than chicken. So why don't we feel tired after the backyard barbecue in the summer? I feel great. So it can't be the tryptophan. So so what is tryptophan? Tryptophan is an amino acid. Um, we call it L-tryptophan. Tryptophan is not just an, an amino acid. It's one of those essential amino acids. So this basically means that our body can't produce it. It needs to come from our diet. So we, we get it from the food that we're eating, specifically those meats, you know, turkey, chicken, meat, eggs. You're good there. protein sources. Yep. You're good protein sources. <laughs> so if you're not getting enough protein, you're probably not getting enough tryptophan. So uh, what's all the hype with the tryptophan? So tryptophan is important in the production of serotonin. Now, I know some of you guys have heard of what serotonin is. Some of you guys may not know what it does, but it is a hormone that is important for regulating our mood, but it's also important for producing the hormone melatonin. And all of you guys know probably what melatonin is it helps to promote like healthy sleep you know it helps us to orient our circadian rhythm also fun fact about melatonin the the term we're not mentioning that chad mentioned once just so everyone knows what i'm talking about melatonin has been shown to be a very effective defense yes against that so you know I mean, it's, it's, it's some people already take it. And, and if you do, cool, you don't have to, but it is, it is interesting that, um, people with higher levels of it. Um, so if you're sleeping, you know, on a consistent schedule, that is going to help you fight off infection. Yeah. It's great. It's great for immune system yeah. for sure. So yes, it is true that tryptophan can go through this cycle to help you get better sleep. This is true. But when you're eating tryptophan, or a protein source, you're also eating other amino acids. You're not just eating tryptophan by itself. And all these amino acids compete for each other when they're, you know, becoming digested in the body. Now that amino acid has to actually cross what we call the blood brain barrier, which is not super common for it to do by itself because it's competing with everything else in the bloodstream. So in order for all that tryptophan to get into the brain, it has to pretty much wait in line, you know? And it's like, waiting in line at Disney and there's no fast pass. So that, that shit ain't getting in there. <laughs> you know what I mean? So to get that immediate response of a half an hour later, I feel tired and I'm on the couch. That's, that's not the trip to fan. So what is causing that is your body is digesting all this damn food <laughs> and it's using all of its energy sources to make this happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it has nothing to do with the trip to fan. It has everything to do with the energy that you're producing to actually digest this food. So, I'm going to dive down a little bit deeper of a hole here. And I know Nick probably is going to appreciate this, but um, can eating meat put you in a better mood? I mean, we just talked about the fact that eating all this tryptophan can create this cascade of effect, uh, effects that can not only help us sleep better, but, you know, put us in a better mood through, you know, producing better levels of serotonin in our system. I'm going to say yes. Yes. <laughs> the majority of the studies showed that Those who avoided meat consumption, I did a little research on my own here. Those who avoided meat consumption had significantly higher rates of risk or uh, higher rates or risk of depression, anxiety, and or self-harm behaviors. 
So eat some meat people. Yeah. yeah. Actually, let's 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 bring up this study then because this just came to my mind. Let's. Um, the one that was done recently, they actually took they took a variety of people. They took people who were meat eating, um, you know, omnivores. So they a variety of things, but meat included. They took vegetarians, vegans, and they actually showed them pictures of meat. And they had a similar brain. So they took scans of their brain. They had a, all, all of them had similar um, responses in the brain from looking at meat. But when they looked at other sources of food, like plants, there was not the same reaction. So they had this excitement in the brain, essentially, from just looking at meat. Did they do that with right. smell too, or was it just visual? Um, that's a good question. I don't, I don't recall, but I, it was they, they looked at meat and they had this. It, it was it, the brain lit up, and then they looked at plants and it did not. The only reason I and, ask is because my Katie, my wife, she's yeah. a vegetarian and she cooks a lot of my meat throughout the yeah. week. And she's like, "Is it bad that when I smell this, I want to eat it so bad?" And I was like, "No, I think that's yeah. your body's way saying, of saying you want. I want this." Yeah. <laughs> and it was just interesting because. We kind of, everyone kind of figured the people who ate meat, their brain would light up a certain way. But the, even the vegans who are, you know, not eating meat or haven't eaten it in a certain amount of time, their brains were lighting up in the same way as those Without who, them even who, knowing who, it. Yeah, as those who, who eat it. So, and that could, if their brain is, is excited to that extent, you would imagine that it's going to look similarly if we're doing something we enjoy or we're in a good mood. So... Super interesting. We're we're learning a lot about it. Um, it just makes sense. Chad and I were talking about this off air with me. I know we just we we started talking about sleep, but now we're talking about me. And <laughs> we're gonna, goes. We're going to talk goes. about we're going to talk about me later in this episode. Dude, Thanksgiving's so, all about me. Bro. This it is true. It's true. <laughs> so um, we were talking about this off air though that we the the, the research community, the the nutrition community, really any any community that's fascinated with the whole food industry. We, we keep trying to do these studies to tell us, oh, is meat good? Is meat bad? But we've been eating meat. I mean, there's there's data from, from archaeologists, all this kind of stuff that, that we have been eating meat for two, uh, two and a half to three and a half million years. Like we started scavenging meat three and a half million years ago, right around 3.3, 3 to 5, 3.5 million years ago. And then we you know, started to eat more of, of the meat, the organs, things like that over the course of two to two and a half million years ago. So we've been eating it for for a long time. Our species has been eating it for a long time, but yet we're still, and we're still here and we're now just trying to study like, Oh, is this really good for us? Maybe it's not, maybe there's better options, but we got to this point with, with it. So to, to say that we, we shouldn't be eating it is, is a little, little crazy. Yes. But I agree. A little off topic. So yeah, I think we, uh, I so think, sleep is good, people. I, yeah, sleep is good. Sleep. And one little like tidbit, just because we are trying to give everybody, um, you know, tips that they can take away and use over the course of the next week, and even through the next weeks into Christmas and and whatever holiday you um, you celebrate during that time and New Year's, all these times where we're going to be, you know, eating a little differently. So one thing you can use to kind of combat that post post eating or post prandial, you know, fatigue or, or lethargy you get um is to eat a little bit slower so we we kind of a lot of people spend the time cooking the meal so by the time they get to it it's been hours they're like oh i'm so, I'm so hungry and we just kind of scoff it down and then next thing you know you ate way more than you wanted to and you feel stuffed and you just can't do anything but unbutton your pants and sit on the couch that's all you can do and 
you know, if you eat a little bit slower, you probably will, one, register the the hunger cues a little bit better. And two, based off that, you probably won't eat quite as much, which is okay because you can always go back for seconds a couple hours later. You know, you don't have to eat it all in one sitting. And that's the other strategy is you could just say, okay, I'm going to eat this amount. Like, tell yourself what you're going to eat. I'm going to eat this amount now and I'm going to have a little bit late, uh, you know, later, to a couple hours later, have my seconds instead of seconds immediately after your first portion. So, you know, think about that as you're going through it, that you will likely get that lethargy from just the amount of food you're consuming, not the tryptophan. All right, let's go on to number five because we, we, uh, we, we, we hit sleep pretty good. So this one's exciting to me because I've been doing a lot more of this over the last year. But number five, feel free to utilize a fasting period throughout the course of the holiday break. Now, this is a controversial one because a lot of people would say don't fast because that's negative behavior. But if you are accustomed to fasting, it is okay to use. And I would I would argue that if you've never fast, fasted for a significant amount of time, it'd be a good time to try it, to just trial it out because you are, you're not going to run the risk of you know, not consuming enough calories because there's going to be a plethora of calories. So you could try it and fasting could either be, uh, most people are familiar with intermittent fasting where, you know, you, you fast for a, you know, 14, 16, maybe 18 hour period each day. So your eating window could be six, eight. Most commonly it's eight, you know, it's a um, 16 and eight, but you know, that's what would be considered a shorter fast. And then you could also implement something that is a longer fast, which is usually like 18 to 20 plus hours. So it might be a full day fast, you know, where you eat, eat lunch one day and then you don't eat until after lunch the next day kind of thing. So, um, the, the fasting can be a huge, um, help in, in, around the holidays because one, it can help us manage our, our calorie intake. So we're not blowing that up out of proportion, but you can also improve your body's removal of toxins. So if we do a longer fast, um, your body part- participates in a, um, a process called, um, autophagy or however people say it, however people like to say it. People like recycle. To, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Recycle. Autophagy, whatever, yeah. whatever you want to say, but it basically is your body clearing its itself of, of waste and toxins in the cells. So when it does this, the, the best analogy I can give you is uh, just think of, of street sweeping, like when in the cities, when the roads are all dirty and all that kind of stuff. And once a week or once a month, whatever the city does, they, they send these big machines down the roads and they sweep the road and now everything's clean. It's pristine, right? But up until that point, things were building up, building up, you know, you're riding your bike on the side. You might have to swerve out of, out of the way of things. So the, the systems within the body can't function as smoothly or as optimally if we have all these toxins built up. So allowing your body to have the time to rid rid the waste out of the way so now you have clean streets again can be super, super helpful, especially around a time like this where you're going to be then then consuming more. Um, so it's it's really something that could be beneficial, not just all the time to to have a longer fast every once in a while. Like for me, I do a 24-hour fast once every two weeks. So I do it twice a month. And I know some people that do 36 to 48 once a month or, or once every so often. I know some people that do, you know, a three to five-day fast once a year, you know. So it, it could be whatever works for you. 24 seems to be, you know, what works pretty well for me. Um, I used to do it once a month. And then Chad said he wanted to do it more often. We we went to twice a month and then he kind of stopped on me. But I I, uh, I was solid for about was, three months. He was, so, he was solid I, through, uh, through the summer when his calorie intake was lower. 
but now now he's back on it but i've stuck with it and i i love it because i'll do it every other monday and it kind of just helps i feel like it helps me hit the reset button so i don't necessarily you know feel the the toxins being cleared so to speak but i I know it's happening but mentally i feel like it's a it's a reset so fasting can be super super helpful if you already intermittent fast i mean keep doing it but if you want to do a little bit longer fast you can do it leading up to your your thanksgiving meal or you can do it afterwards there's actually a german proverb that says fasting today makes the food good tomorrow so you could utilize that leading up to thanksgiving if you fast the day before i mean that thanksgiving meal is going to be even better I will say if you've never fasted and you're and you've heard of intermittent fasting or you've done intermittent fasting and you're like, eh, it kind of sucks. I was you. I hated intermittent fasting. And I'll be honest, when I did the 24 hour fast, I actually preferred that over the intermittent fasting. It's like when you know that you can't eat until eleven, you're like, oh, eleven in the morning, you're like, oh man, I can't wait, I can't wait. But when you're like, it's the whole day, your body's just like, it's the whole day. It is what it is. If you can get past that 16 hours, it's like easy. Yeah. If anything, you get this like huge jump of energy right around that 16, 17, 18 hours and you're just riding the wave all the yeah. way to 24. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because my next point was going to be, Boom. there's a ton of um, observational studies on all mammals, not just humans, but there's, mo- so the research on, on fasting in humans is somewhat limited. I think most, most would say it's limited, but there's a ton on other animals and for the most part, any mammal that they study with fasting, the animal is more active and energized when they're fasted and more sedentary when they're fed. And just like Chad was saying before, after you eat your meal, you just want to sit on the couch. You're super tired. Yeah. Cause you, you fed yourself. Your body now needs to digest. It shifts gears. If you're fasted, you feel energy because your body needs to go find food essentially. Right. So if we make this conscious decision to, um, you know, go through the fasted period. And, and some, some may say, oh, well, that's over-restricting. Not really, because I'm, I'm going to eat at a certain point. I'm just telling myself I'm going to not eat from this time to this time, whatever whatever hours I'm, I'm willing to commit to. And when you do that, you are going to have, you know, a little bit more energy and all that kind of stuff. So we get this big, big spike in adrenaline, um, you know, so again, like Chad was saying with the hormones, we get this spike in a hormone called adrenaline. So you have a little bit more energy. So if you fast, you know, have say a 24 hour fast period at some point during this break, whether it's the day before or the day after you actually might feel more inclined to go do your exercise routine, go, go do your workout. So, because you'll have more energy, so it could be super, super helpful. So the other thing that the, the fasting can do is it actually, so a bunch of the research shows that it's just fasting more than 12 hours. We'll do this. And that's really not that long if you think about it, because if you sleep eight, you only got four more hours to go. That's not not that that much. But um, the, the research will show that there's an improvement in the balance between ghrelin and leptin. And ghrelin is your hunger hormone and leptin is your, your satiated hormone. So ghrelin is being released when we want to go eat, right? When you feel hungry, that's ghrelin. And when you're full after the meal, that's leptin being released. So these two are constantly in, in, in balance and harmony with each other. But if we have instances where we're overeating a lot, over the course of a long period of time, then yes, we can get an imbalance between these. And fasting just longer than 12 hours has shown an improvement in the balance of these two hormones. So you can act- actually improve if you were to fast, in, in, this is in theory, but if you were to fast leading up to th- the Thanksgiving meal, you might not be as inclined to overeat versus if you've been overeating 
leading up to Thanksgiving meal, you're probably going to continue the overeating train. But if you do some type of a fast before, you will have a better balance of these hormones. So you will be able to better register when you are hungry uh, and when you are full. And then obviously hungry later on, but when you are full after the meal. So you won't be as likely to overeat. So it's kind of like hitting the reset button on those hormones. And then we've we've seen other research with fasting that's that's shown an improvement in the microbial diversity and uh, the process of fermentation that the bacteria in your gut do. And gut health's all the rage right now. So if you really want to improve your gut health, a simple way to do it without any type of supplement or drug is to fast. So that can be that can be cool too. Yeah, and I would think it's I mean it's it's important to know that you have two systems that you're utilizing in your body and you know, whether we talk about using your, you know, if you're in a fasted state, you're now in what we call, you know, ketosis. So we're using our fat as energy as opposed to when you're getting all those glucose and carbs from your stuffing at Thanksgiving, we're using that system. So it's good to be able to use both systems um, and be able to switch between the two and be, you know, efficient in both systems and not just one. That's how diabetes, 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 diabetes. happens. Is that how it's said? Yeah. Um, because not not only are you increasing your risk risk for insulin sensitivity but you know it's it's a huge stress on your body and and one of those things that you know people are like oh well we shouldn't be starving ourselves that's like uh we're only in that system when it's like a you know a last resort it's like our bodies you know what do they call it like reserve you yeah. know and it's that's not the case actually you know we should be able to use both and i think that we need to get away from thinking that oh we should only use our fat system like when we're in dire need and we can't get the carbohydrates that's not the truth at all no, no. you know metabolic flexibility yep. is is that term that that you know says we can we can efficiently use either system and that is a good thing for anybody to be metabolically flexible if you have difficulty utilizing fats for for energy that's not a good thing that just means you're going to keep storing it keep storing it and we all we all know what that leads to and most people out there weight loss is a goal for them and you need you need metabolic flexibility first before you can actually you know strip away some of that extra extra fat so fasting can be a good thing it's it's not just for the holidays but the holidays can be a great time to to test it out if you haven't done it and then you know if you if you were fine with it and didn't have any problems keep using it. It can be, like we said, a, a long fast here and there, or it can be, you know, a style of intermittent fasting. There's, there's no, there's no right or wrong here. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can, it doesn't have to be a, a firm 12 and eight. You yes. could literally go, you know, 11, 45 and, right. and eight, eight, 25. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's, it it's eight, 15. I mean, it doesn't, yeah. doesn't matter as long as you have, if, if fasting is a goal, you probably want a, a time period, you know, of, of 12 or more hours, you know, um, and then go from there. I messed the, I messed those numbers up anyway. I, what did I say? 11, 45 minutes. That doesn't even make sense. That's not even a full day, but <laughs> I think everybody understands. Yeah. What everyone saying. gets I it. It, it doesn't it have to be have right to be on, the on the hour. Yeah. 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 So, all right. Number six, monitor your alcohol Ooh. intake. I mean, this is pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. You know, let's not get excessive with our alcohol consumption. Now I do know, and I kind of looked this up. I do know that 60% of people they, they uh, prefer wine on Thanksgiving. And I don't know, I'm not a wine person. I'm actually not a drink person at all. But I would assume that that's, you know, kind of goes along with what they're eating. Maybe it tastes good or maybe it's just people like wine better. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that can also lead to bad effects when you're combining alcohol calories in addition to all the other calories that you're eating. So um, I know there's other hormone disruptions. I don't know if, are you going to talk about that, Nick? 
Um, so, uh, maybe, maybe okay. a little bit, probably not too much. You, you, go. All, you right, go. all right. All right. So I will say that, um, research has shown that by itself, drinking wine does not significantly affect your cholesterol, glucose, um, triglycerides or levels of inflammatory markers in your body. Okay. So yes, wine can be heart healthy, but it's only healthy when combined with physical activity. You can't just drink wine and just be okay. Like that's <laughs> not, that's not a good excuse, but it can have some good antioxidants. It can have some good health benefits, but I think the physical activity here in conjunction with what you're drinking is, is the important thing here. Um, people that worked out twice per week and also drank wine showed that there was a significant improvement in health variables after a year of wine consumption. Um, this didn't matter if it was red or white. Uh, it could be the activity itself. It could be the wine. I don't know, but either way, throw the activity in there. I yeah. think that's important to note. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think alcohol is an interesting topic because, you know, it, it, everyone kind of understands that if it's excessive, it, it's not good. But then there's this middle, this gray area where everyone's like, well, some people say it's good. Some people say it's not. Mediterranean has has red wine. So red wine's good. So, yes, everything in moderation kind of holds true. And it, most of the research that will show uh, a moderate, what would be considered a moderate consumption of alcohol. So for reference, moderate consumption in, in one study that I found was two to three glasses of wine for men. And I forget exactly what, I don't remember yeah. if a glass is 12, five, I whatever. It all depends on yeah. the study to be quite yeah, honest. Yeah, I know. But typically like a, you know, a, a shot is however many ounces and whatever it is. Yeah. So Two to three glasses for men and then one to two glasses for women for moderate consumption. But moderate consumption has been shown to be very beneficial in a lot of studies. And then other studies, really no benefits, not necessarily too many harms either, but no benefits. So if you choose to partake with, with alcohol, great. Just be, be mindful of the amount. And if you do have a moderate consumption amount, it has been shown to improve glymphatic flow. So glymphatics is the lymphatic system of your, specifically of your brain. So glymphatic flow is important, especially during sleep, which we already talked about. So glymphatic, um, the glymphatic system flushes itself out during sleep. So you get new fluid in there. So we detoxify the brain. Now, if we can improve glymphatic flow with moderate consumption, might not be a bad idea to detoxify around the holidays because... We're eating a lot of other stuff. We're eating a lot of sugar with pie. You know, we're eating extra things that we wouldn't normally consume on our regular weeks. So we might need a little bit better detoxification. So maybe alcohol is not a terrible thing to add in moderation around the holidays. Um, the analogy that that I actually was thinking about for this was that, you know, if you're about to vacuum your house, it's probably smart to dust and clean the surfaces first. That way, if you push anything onto the floor, well, you're just going to vacuum it. Same idea with a moderate consumption of alcohol, you know, around a holiday like Thanksgiving. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to put a bunch of other stuff that my body will view as toxic. Okay, well, let's use this toxin in a small amount to trigger my body's detoxification system so then I can better flush it out. So that's just one way to look at it. I'm not saying, you know, go go out and make sure you drink your, uh, your tooth glasses, but if you're going to you know, drink some wine. Maybe if you're a male, stop at two to three. And, and if you're female, stop at one to two. And if you have, you know, one to two extra, maybe get a little extra sleep. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, but there, there's really, you know, it's not that we're um, condoning it or shaming you for drinking it. Um, we just, 
want you to have some some awareness of you know some some limitations so you're not just doing it without thinking about okay what is this doing to my body how is my body going to respond and all that kind of stuff so when it comes down to types of alcohol i mean we've been talking about wine a little bit but think about that too so we know that if you take a shot that's a a liquid that is you know say 40 percent alcohol that goes right in your system your liver identifies that very differently than a glass of wine which might be 12 percent and more liquid right so it's all it's all relative and if you consume the shot without any food well now that's the only thing my body's registering versus i'm drinking wine with dinner that's also very different so Consider that as well. If you're going to drink something that's higher percentage of alcohol, probably better to cut it with with some other liquid, you know, seltzer, soda water. And if you are drinking something that's uh, like like wine, which is a variety, you know, it could be anywhere from like six or seven percent to like 17, 18 percent kind of thing. You know, consider that as well. Maybe because, you know, you might have a few more glasses. Well, let's get something with a lower percentage. So we're not taking as, as high of a percent into the body all at once. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there is some research on there on drinking wine fasted too. I was kind of browsing on some of that with, you know, oh, I'm the sure ability to, to replenish your glycogen storage. Yeah, yeah I'm sure uh, there but is, yeah. Because there is sugar and fructose in, yeah. in wine. So, and, um, and that's another thing too with wine is, is you're going to have all these other things. We've all heard about sulfites and all that kind of stuff. So if you, if you know wine or, or um, want to do a little research, there are better wines with less, less uh, of the, of the stuff in there. You know, the, the stuff that can be more toxic to you, more harmful to you. A lot of people with asthma and other allergy type symptoms, they won't do as well with, with high sulfite wine. So, you know, finding something with less sulfites can be super helpful. You might have to spend a couple extra bucks, but that's okay. Yeah. And, and kind of going on to that, I mean, you know, bridging off what you just said there, Nick, there's, you really should do some research on the wine that you are drinking. You know, there's really no federal requirement to tell you what's really in the wine that you're drinking. And you're getting these from, you don't even know where, you know, there's been studies out there. There was one actually where they tested 1300 wines. They were really doing it to investigate the calorie count of the wines, but they found that they were like, Oh shit, there's not, you know, we're not just looking at the calories here. We're actually seeing some pretty high levels of arsenic in all of these wines. They said it was actually nearly a quarter of the bottles had levels of arsenic higher than the EPA's maximum for drinking water. So just think about that when you, when you're when you're getting your next bottle of wine. And also, they found this study that said that the lower the price of the wine, the higher the levels of the arsenic. The higher levels of arsenic for the lower, you know, quality wines. I guess. There you go. So get don't the, don't get, get the, the box. Yeah. Don't get the box, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Spend a, spend a little money. You get what wine. you pay for with yeah, your wine. Exactly. I guess. Exactly. Don't don't cheat. And out. also too, if you spend a little bit more money, you probably won't be as inclined to just you know chug it, chug it. Yeah. That's so a good point. Spend a little bit more money, you're gonna naturally monitor your intake. So that's the big takeaway with the, the alcohol pieces. We're we're by no means uh, sommeliers or an, or any kind of alcohol specialist, and we're just saying monitor the intake. It has an effect on your body in moderation. Your body can tolerate it really well. We probably shouldn't be doing that all day, every day. But if we do it in moderation around a time like this, it can actually enhance your social engagement. Totally. It can enhance the time you have. So so have have fun with it. But just be mindful that if you your alcohol intake gets excessive, you are likely going to disrupt other things like your sleep. So be mindful of that. All right. On to number seven. So uh, don't try to exercise off your big meals. All right. This is something that, Again, this is similar to the other points. 
Some people feel that this is okay. Some people feel this is really bad. Um, it's just one of those things that it can, it can, you know, lead to negative behaviors. So you don't want nutrition's about the long game. Chad mentioned this earlier. One day is not going to throw you off course. It's not going to, you know, destroy your, your progress as long as you can get back on track. The problem becomes is if we try to do things to offset or compensate for something like eating a big meal, that's when our behavior changes. That's when that when we start to change the long-term game, the the you know, the long-term outcomes. Because now we're we're creating a negative relationship with food is really what it comes down to. And that's that's not good in any situation. So trying to exercise off those big meals, not ideal for for um, you know, the the overall outcomes, your overall health journey, because you just start to view food as as the enemy. And yep. we don't want that. Yeah. And and I would say, I know we're going to be talking about uh, walks next, which will kind of go along with what we're talking about now a little bit. Um, but in terms of exercise, um, uh, exercising off your big meals, don't think that exercising before your meal is going to help you either. You know, just enjoy the day, you know, and then they, a lot of research shown out there that even doing like aerobic exercise in a fasted state before you're having this like huge meal had very, very little impact on your post-dinner glucose levels. There's yeah. no change. Yeah. So it's not worth it. Just yeah. just eat the food. Enjoy yeah. your Thanksgiving. And and that that let's just talk right about point eight with that. So that being said, if you can fit in your normal exercise routine, like you have a Monday to you know Friday or whatever, if you have an everyday routine, if you can fit it in, do it. Like there's there's nothing wrong with that just because it's a holiday. So if you if you can maintain some level of your routine, that's probably going to make it easier come Monday when the holiday's over where everyone has a hard time, typically has a hard time getting back into the swing of things. If you can fit your normal exercise routine in, great. That's going to help you get stay on tra- like stay on track with your your normal routine once the next week starts. But if you can't, don't stress out about it. It's really okay. If you got family over, you're you're cooking, you're you're prepping, you're getting the house ready, you're you're doing all that stuff, you're still moving. So that's the key is just 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 get some movement in there and that's what we're going to talk about the next point, but don't stress out if you can't fit the normal exercise routine, but if you can, go for it. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So that brings us to our next point, number nine, go for more walks, you know, and we recommend that you actually walk after your next big meal. Nick's been big on these walks. I've walked yeah. a couple of times with him, but he does it every day. Um, but you are better off walking after that Thanksgiving meal. Um, and honestly, they say that you can get benefits, even if it's only a 20 minute walk, it's, it's better than nothing to be quite honest with you. Yes. So, yeah. And this is something that walking was first, well, to my knowledge, was first really studied based, you know, around um, the timing of of your meals with people with diabetes. And obviously diabetes is a huge, huge issue in the U.S., but all over the world. So they started doing these studies in in, uh, populations with people with diabetes. But more recently, they started to study this in (laughs) the the verbiage is kind of kind of funny to me. I don't know why, but the, the verbiage is apparently healthy, insufficiently active adults. So, <laughs> so that, that to me is just America, unfortunately, yes. that we are apparently healthy, insufficiently active adults. <laughs> so not moving enough on a regular basis, um, but we are otherwise apparently healthy. If you dove into that, you know, we, we could, we could debate that all day long, but nonetheless, they've started to, um, you know, evaluate this in people who don't have diagnosable diabetes yet, but clearly if they are apparently healthy, but insufficiently active, they might be on their way. It depends what, you know, how their diet is and all that other kind of stuff. But 
nonetheless, they've started to study these these types of groups, and there is a you know significant improvement in your postprandial blood glucose concentration with just ten minutes of walking, thirty minutes after a meal. So your postprandial is just after eating. And when we eat, right, the glucose in our blood, um, the concentration typically rises. And that's how diabetes is diagnosed, right? Like if people have unchecked blood glucose because they have insulin resistance, then their blood glucose levels will skyrocket typically. And so this is, this is one way that they diagnose diabetes is to see what people's blood glucose does after eating. Now, if you go for a walk for 10 minutes, just 10 minutes, and it was in this study, moderate intensity walking. Um, I don't know exactly what they were referring to in moderate intensity, but hey, just go out and, you know, walk faster than you normally would, you know, slightly faster, or you just walk at the same pace, just go walk. And this was 30 minutes, uh, you know, immediately after eating, and it improved their blood glucose concentration. So just going for that walk, it's a great, great thing to do with family, friends as well. It's a good time to talk, catch up. You know, it's a little cold right now, but we could also talk about what cold exposure, what what positive that can do for you. That's going to be another <laughs> podcast at some point. Totally. Because that's big, big for me. But going walking outside, hey, if you're a little cold, throw some gloves on, throw long sleeves on, you'll be okay. But exposing yourself to cold can also be very beneficial. So go walk outside. If you don't, if you're really, really anti outside, move around the house. <laughs> do Do something. Move a little bit. Yeah, move a little bit. So walking, good thing. It's great to... And we, we, our point was go for more walks than, than you normally would because around the holidays, you know, your exercise routine is probably a little bit less or limited because you're, you're, you're taking care of family, all that kind of stuff. So go for more walks than usual. Yep. All right. Point number 10, last one. All right. Make sure your protein intake is in check. This is big for us. So, and we probably could have made this a little bit higher, but we wanted to. Get, you know, get the other stuff in there first because we've talked quite a bit about protein intake throughout our our, um, our still early podcast careers. So episode, I think it was six, right? Six was one where we really dove into this. So if you want more, we won't, we'll just kind of scrape the surface on this. And if you want more on, on what we think about protein, go to episode six. We talk a lot about it. We talk about other stuff as well in that episode. So it's a good one. But protein intake should be in check because... Not only is it very, very important, but something like Thanksgiving can be can be tricky in that there's a lot of other good things that aren't quite as high in protein, like stuffing and mashed potatoes that are very, very enticing. And if you're eating a lot of those, you might be inclined to take a good amount of turkey, but then leave some of that turkey to the side. So we are big proponents of try to eat your protein earlier in the meal or consume most of your protein earlier in the meal because one... You'll make sure you get your protein, your adequate protein, but also because protein is the most satiating macronutrient, you will be less likely to overeat. So that can be helpful as well. And our our usual recommendation for most people would be just aim for about a gram of protein per pound, right, of body weight. So and and that can be different for a, a lot of people in a day, not a sitting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just so in I a want day. To yes, that. yes, yes. In a day. Sorry, <laughs> you could do it in a sitting. If sure. you want to, you probably wouldn't feel very good. Nope. But uh, nonetheless, and, and that doesn't necessarily have to be, it could be pound of your ideal body weight. So if you're not currently at a weight that you are um, all that comfortable with and you're trying to lose weight, that's okay. Your ideal body weight, just try to aim for that um, at one gram per pound. And, you know, for, for reference, you know, 
people are always like, well, I don't really know how much that is. So if you're taking a good serving, if you're filling a quarter of your plate with turkey on Thanksgiving, that's probably upwards of, you know, 30 to 40 grams, would you say, Chad? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So if you're taking a good quarter of your plate of of that turkey, you know, some people, if it's it's some of the, you know, smaller pieces, it, it, you know, might be in the 20s, but it's probably anywhere between that 20 to 40 grams. So that gives you a good idea. That if you're if you're getting that in that meal, then you're probably getting a little bit from some of the other things. You might get a few grams from the potatoes, you know, a few grams from the the stuffing, maybe a, you know a gram or two from the vegetables. So all in all, in the meal, you might get fifty, maybe sixty, um, depending on the size of your plate. But that just gives you an idea of what you're getting. So aim for that one gram per pound, and if you are short of it, you're still in a in good shape. For, for your protein intake versus if you aim for like half a gram per pound and you miss it, you're probably a little low. So aiming a little higher with the protein, not a bad strategy. Not a bad yep. strategy at all. Get the protein in. Yeah. That's for sure. Absolutely. And cool. like we said, episode six, check it out. We talk way more about it. Yep. Exactly. Cool. All right. I think that uh that that ends the That's turkey, turkey tips. tips. Yeah. That's it. it Sounds great. And these these tips go go for Christmas as well. I mean, we yeah. talked about that a little Maybe bit. Maybe we'll do something so. for Christmas. Yeah, call it something. But else. any any Christmas party you're going to yeah. over the course of the next month after Thanksgiving, even leading up to to New Year's, you might be in these situations where you're like, oh, I've been doing so well with my, you know, my nutrition, my exercise. This is going to throw a wrench in it. Nope. Just go back to these Just, tips. Yeah. You'll be all right. Yeah, you're going to be fine. Just you're get some survive. good sleep. You're going to survive. Get some good sleep. Don't drink more than three glasses of wine and eat protein. It's easy. <laughs> it's so easy. <laughs> and go on walks. Don't yeah. forget about walks. Don't forget about the walks. All right. So next episode, if you guys are all wondering, we've got we've got a unique one coming up. It's, uh, it's on vitamin D. And for all of you guys that don't know, or gals that don't know what vitamin D is, it's what we call the sunshine vitamin. All right. So it's it's now that we're getting our days are becoming a little shorter. You know, you go to nothing worse than going to work in the dark and coming home from work in the dark. dark. So you really don't get much sunshine exposure. And unfortunately, the rate of vitamin D deficiency is like over 40% in the United States. So this is probably worth a listen. Um, And vitamin D is like super important, especially this time of year, especially with what everything that's going on with our immune system and and such. We won't, won't break it down too much, but you know, the sun exposure does help our body to better produce that natural vitamin D. Um, and if we're not getting enough of it, then we have to figure out how we can better improve our consumption of vitamin D. So absolutely. Anything to add to the vitamin D? I don't think so. We'll be able, we'll, we'll talk a lot yes. in the next episode for sure. I believe so. For sure. So that, that'll yeah. be worth a listen for sure for everybody. So moral of the story, if you are tired following that Thanksgiving feast, don't blame the turkey, blame yourself. Remember, sometimes you have to blame yourself because you knew better, especially after listening to this week's episode. If you know, you know. Now go enjoy that Thanksgiving. Thank you for joining us in the rack this week. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. You can also find us online at proformptma.com or on social media at proformptma. And remember, if you train inside the rack, you better be thinking outside the rack.